Mine's good. Come on, Brent. Life's good. Got real close. Got hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have. Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott, socially distancing as always. Hello, Scott. Hey, Sean. How's it going today? Doing okay. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. I got a. A package delivered today that I was really excited about. Oh, what was uh, there? Well, I got one that's new face masks. So pretty excited I can now safely go out in public. Yeah. It's been a minute. Uh, and I got a hammock delivered. Oh, look at you with the hammock. Yeah, so I sat out uh, on it today on my balcony for a little bit. Uh, it's pretty nice. great. I might... Very- I might sit on it uh, a little bit later tonight when we play trivia together. But uh, I, I do worry a bit about the buses. But anyway, it's a, a great new addition to my stay-at-home lifestyle. There you go. So that's uh, a nice step in the right direction for you. It's a little chilly, though, Scott. Oh, but it's nice, Sean. It's uh, it's not too cold. It's... Uh... It's just the right temperature right now, and I think it's forecast to stay that way for at least a week or so, and much better than the heat we had before. Yes, definitely has cooled off since last week uh, in the nation's capital temperature-wise, so uh, so congratulations, Scott. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm uh, really happy for myself. <laughs> That's good. Um, now, before we get into the core of what the show is today, we do want to just take a second and uh, acknowledge what is going on. The, certainly the murder of George Floyd and the protests around the United States and the world, really, that have been the result of that. Uh, Curling Geek today had a really good thread, I thought, that we can't pretend that this is not happening and that uh, you know, racial discrimination and violence against racialized communities is a reality, is a daily reality in uh, both Canada and the United States and really around the world. And we just want to say that we recognize that, as Curling Geek put it, bantering on a winter sport can really seem ignorant and callous in a moment like this. We get that. And I will say that, you know, professionally, I'm a historian. And my advice to people who look like us, who look like Scott and I, is this is a moment for us to listen and to learn and to go out, seek out sources of information. There's no shortage of books and articles, podcasts that you can find to learn about the realities of what happens to people on a daily basis and then support the dismantling of societal structures that foster, promote, and perpetuate racism and violence against racialized communities. So within that context, we are going to continue with the show, and we recognize that there's a privilege in doing the show that we're fully aware of. And as we said at the start of the pandemic, we want the show to be a form of escape from 
the current realities of what's going on. But that doesn't mean we want to ignore those realities or seem as though we are completely disconnected from them. This is a chance for all of us to learn and grow together and support the, the people who are subjected to this type of racism and violence on a daily basis. And certainly in the Canadian context, I would encourage everybody to, if you have not yet, this is a, a opportunity to read the report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the report on missing and murdered indigenous women. Uh, in addition, if you go to places like the NAACP website, they have a bunch of resources, both internal and they can guide you to external resources to learn more about what's going on, to understand the broader social, economic, political context, put it into the, the you know, help you understand what's going on. And that that's my advice for people who look like us, to learn, listen, and support dismantle these structures. So I just wanted to say that off the top. And Scott, I don't know if you have anything to add to this. Uh, very well said, Sean. You know, you and I had a long talk on Sunday, uh, sort of about what was going on and, and what our role is in society like that. And uh, I'll be honest, I've spent the last couple of days learning and staying quiet and uh, trying to become a better ally for people who, who need, need us to do that. Uh, so like you say, I, I suggest going to the resources you mentioned and yeah, that's about all. Yeah. So we'll, for, for us, for Scott and I, at least, or for me, I don't want to speak for you, Scott. This is, this show is over the past few weeks uh, and now to, it's a, a chance for like almost a mental health break to take a break from what is happening in the world. And that's why we do it. And it's a short break. It's a respite. That's really what, to a certain extent, sport is. And that's the spirit in which we will continue to do the show. And again, I encourage everybody to check out those resources. But we just wanted to make that clear off the top of the show. So uh, that being said, we will make the transition into what this show uh, is going to be today. We have a, a topic, Scott, that we've talked about sort of off and on a little during the course of the, the time that we've done this show of what would happen if or what would history be if now as i mentioned i am a professional historian counterfactual history on a professional level bothers me but on a as a as a way to have a discussion it can actually be a lot of fun oh for sure i think uh curling clubs after games are filled with conversations of oh if i'd only made that one shot uh or if this one thing had gone the right way, or oh, that guy he made some bullshit shot out of his <laughs> uh, out of his butt there. But uh, yeah, like on a wider level, I, I find counterfactual history quite fascinating. Uh, have you, Sean? Have you heard of uh, the Man in the High Castle? I have not. No. It's a, a book by Philip K. Dick, I think. And it's an Amazon Prime series, and it's sort of what if Germany and Japan had had won World War Two, and then goes from there to sell or have some stories. the uh, The plot against America was another uh, series that was on HBO. It was another book that was adapted, uh, and it sort of speculated what if 
Roosevelt had lost the presidential election in 1940 to Lindbergh. Okay. So I find these things pretty interesting to, to sort of look back and see what could have happened. And in curling, there's so many moments in the road where if you change one little thing, what we see now in curling would be totally, totally different. Yeah, absolutely. And there's these flashpoint moments in the sport where things could have gone very differently for people, nations, the sport in general. So Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of possibilities here. So we've each come up with five different what ifs that we wanted to talk about and talk through. So, Scott, we'll start with you. What do you have as your first what if that you want to talk about? I think my first what if is is maybe one of the, the biggest it was the one that immediately came to mind for me. Okay. And it was uh, Sandra Schmerler. Right. So what So what if Sandra Schmerler never gets sick? Yep. So the things that fall out of that, it, you, immediately after or, or during her illness was the Colleen Jones dynasty. You know, uh, five out of six Scott Tournament of Hearts they won in a six-year period. Yep. Uh, including four in a row. Uh, so that's sort of the first place to start talking about about the impacts. To, what do you think? I, I think that's a, a good one. I didn't include it on my list, mostly because I thought you would have it on yours, and I wanted to have a different list. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's it's one of these ones that's really tough because that team had been together for so long. They were so dominant, and one of the many tragedies of Sandra Schmerler getting cancer and ultimately passing away in 2000 is that I don't know if there's anybody in the country, Scott, who would not have signed up for, you know, five or six Colleen Jones, Sandra Schmerler finals in the yeah. early aughts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and so with Sandra not being a part of the team going forward, it's, pretty famously Jan Betker, who was the third, uh, didn't want to skip uh, right. for the first couple of years anyway, and sort of sort of was reluctantly led back into skipping in 2002, I believe, and, and was able to get a team back to the Scotties. I think, like, it's just the break of those four players – that in and of itself sort of meant that, okay, they're not on the roll anymore. They're not at the peak of the sport anymore. Yeah. And if, if they had kept playing all through that, you might've even seen after, you know, after some time, the team split apart, but still keep playing at the high level. Uh, in terms of Saskatchewan curling, uh, we saw Sherry Anderson make many Scotty's appearances after that. Yeah. Uh, maybe, in a world where the Schmirler team is the dominant team in Saskatchewan, we don't get to see Sherry Anderson playing at the highest level. And she's always said, I, I'll play as long as I love it. And I love playing, but maybe her love of playing wouldn't have, you know, grown the same way that, that it did with her making all these Scotties and being so competitive. So if you think about that, then you think, Oh, well maybe Sherry Anderson's not getting world championships at the senior level. 
Uh, right. She 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 would have lost the last three Saskatchewan senior finals to Sandra Smurler. Right, right. <laughs> and you know, then Stephanie Lawton's team uh, comes up through the ranks uh, just after this time too. So, yep. like fixtures on our national curling circuit, I would say, uh, might not have been given the chance with Sandra Schmerler uh, still playing well into her uh, late 30s and 40s. Yeah, I mean, she would be, I think, 56 right now. She died when she was 36, I think, if uh, that's right. I think that's right. So, yeah, so she would have been in her her mid-50s right now. So certainly you would think competing at the senior level, and hell, she could still be competing at the – sort of competitive level as well, you know, in sort of the Glenn Howard role. Uh, but yeah, you, you do wonder what her career would have been because they were just really coming into form when she was diagnosed, right? They won yeah. the Scotties in uh, 1997. Uh, then they win the trials. Then they win the gold at the Olympics. And she also competed in the Scotties that year in 98 in mm-hmm. Regina, got a bronze there just for fun. And that was the, the last competitive year that, that she was able to have. And it is a, a, a one of those big what ifs. And even you think Sandra Schmerler as a coach or a mentor and, you know, somebody like Amber Holland and that team, if Sandra Schmerler's around as somebody to give advice and, you know, encourage and coach and all, I know the other three members of the team have done that. And you just wonder what it could have been with Sandra Schmerler. So, yeah, I think it's I, I do think it's the biggest what if that we have in certainly Canadian curling and maybe curling just in general. Yeah, the, because the repercussions would be so big. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, talking a little bit about the Colleen Jones dynasty, she was pretty much on her own there. They had uh, Kelly Law from BC was a pretty good team at that time. Uh, but you had a couple teams from Ontario come try to challenge for a bit. Uh, Marie-France LaRouche was a little bit later, sort yeah. of uh, 2003, 2004. But there wasn't really a team that was challenging her regularly uh, until no. until Jennifer Jones came along and won that uh, 2005 scotties and we all know what happened since so yeah with with maybe another team to put the pressure on uh, you know like you said i would sign up for finals of uh schmerler and jones all of those years for sure yeah Yeah. so uh yeah so i think yeah that's uh spot on in terms of what ifs and obviously one of the more tragic what ifs that we have uh to talk about yeah, I thought I'd get the show off to a light start, Sean. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go. Uh, I'll go to another one that is around the same era, a couple years later, but it has nothing to do with the players. Uh, very Canada-centric again, though. And the one I wonder about is what if CBC doesn't lose the rights to air Curling Canada finals, and the way they broadcast stays the exact same where TSN does round robin, CBC does the playoffs. Hmm. I I want I often wonder about what this would mean, especially in this changing landscape of television sport and does TSN lose interest in curling potentially? Does 
somebody like Mike Harris have a larger role, larger platform? Is he more in the imagination of, of curling than he currently is? Not that he's not a significant part of it, but I think mm-hmm. in this country, when people think of curling, the immediate soundtrack to that is Russ, or excuse me, is Vic, and now with Russ and Cheryl. And of course, in the, in the past, you had Vic and Ray and Linda doing that. And with CBC, would you have that same connection? Does Vic's career change? Does he not want to do curling as much anymore? Probably he still does. Uh, does Russ Howard go to TSN or does he go to CBC because he wants to do the finals of these events? Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of what ifs. And then I also think about audience and access in this in this country access still matters that access to the content is still one of the primary drivers of ratings even in this digital world particularly with curling audiences that tend to be more rural than some other programming mm-hmm. so access matters and having it be on CBC still could be a driver for numbers and ratings that people who can't access TSN or can't access digital outlets, it still matters there in in a lot of the country. So I I do wonder about what this would all mean and how we would understand the landscape of curling. I like that it's all on TSN, but I do wonder about how the exclusivity influenced the broader growth of the sport. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Of course, uh, access. When you talk about access, Sean, this this was the big challenge that CBC had. And you think, how could CBC have a problem with access? It's it's Canadian, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, right? Like, yep. But uh, in 2004 was when this happened, and they they decided to air all the games on CBC Country Canada. Yeah. So uh, a, a digital cable channel that they had started recently that almost nobody had. I remember uh, I was at university and I wasn't able to watch curling. Right. And that's insane, right? Like, yeah. Like, like I mean, in today's context, you can't imagine it because you'd be like, well, it's got to be streaming somewhere. But back then, no. And I remember like our mom was always... Uh, was like vocal about not liking this. Yeah. Uh, That was the only year that it, that curling wasn't on TSN at all because they wanted CBC had signed a deal that started in 2004 to cover the whole thing. Uh, And then there was time limits on the sports coverage at at country Canada. So they would sometimes cut games off if they weren't finished in the three hour window. Yeah. Right. So, all in all, it was like a huge debacle for CBC. Yes. The next year, they went back to doing the round robin on TSN and the finals on CBC. Uh, and then coming out of that was the exclusive contract with TSN, uh, which started in 2008. So, yeah, you're right. Like, if that experiment had succeeded, yeah, do we never get, you know, Vic and, and Russ and we sort of lose out on, on prime Vic and Ray and Linda. Yeah. And and maybe you're right. Like maybe Mike Harris is the Russ Howard of today. Who knows? Uh, Interesting stuff. 
Yeah, so that that's one that I I've thought about, and I think about it somewhat regularly when we we when I'm watching the games. It's like this could right. be on CBC right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we did calls last week, right? The the biggest curling calls. How different is that list without the contract going exclusively to TSN? It's it's pretty pretty damn different. Yeah, I'm sure it's different, but uh, yeah, Sean, uh, you know, the CBC would have had to hire at least one probably two people named Don, uh, given their <laughs> history of hiring Dons. I'm looking at their uh, uh, CBC Championship curling coverage. Yeah. Uh, at a certain point, they had Don Chevrier, Don Duguid, and Don Whitman at the same time, 78-79. Yeah, and the intro was the Four Seasons song <laughs> as well. Few people, few people know that, that they licensed oh. it. Oh, yeah. wow, very good. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that's a that's a good one. I like it. Yeah. So, uh, so what do you got next? Oh, I just took a drink of water. So, <laughs> uh, the next one I have is around the same time again. Uh, this early aughts is a big, uh, big turning point for curling. So, I want to talk about the formation of the Grand Slam series, and the boycotting of the Briar. Yeah, this is also my second one. Okay, good. Yeah. What if uh, we have no boycott? What if we? What if there's no boycott? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, there's 18 teams that started. Uh, they're called the original 18, and I, I don't think you need to know them all. But there were some big names like Kerry Burtnick, Glenn Howard, Wayne Mada, and famously Kevin Martin, who uh, had all the all these teams decide multilaterally, I guess, yeah. that uh, they were going to play in this new newly created grand slam for money rather than take place in the briar playdowns uh, to try and get to the world championships right so my question of what if is this is right in the middle of randy furby and the furby four and their yeah. hu- their run of winning i think four briars yep Randy Furby and Kevin Martin played at the same club in Edmonton. And famously at that time, like you had to play down out of your club to get to your region, to get to your provincial, right? Yes. You you could have more than one team from a a club, but it was pretty rare. Very rare, I think. Yeah. So, so we see, we see like the Furby four being the representative from Edmonton there. And, and I wonder if Kevin Martin's at his full strength during this time, I'm, I'm sure we don't see them win four in a row or four out of five. Well, certainly that's what Kevin Martin will tell you. <laughs> Did he talk about this on his podcast? No, I don't think it's been on the podcast, but certainly Kevin Martin, I know that in other interviews and other forums and, uh, I can't. I, I don't know if I can fully reveal where I've I've heard this, but that he 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 and Randy Furby don't like each other from all accounts mm-hmm. uh, that I've heard. And you know, I, I think part of it is Randy Furby did not participate in the boycott, and I don't think Kevin Martin liked that. And Kevin Martin I, believes that w- if he had been there, that Randy Furby wouldn't have won the four and. In his heart of hearts, he'll tell you that. Yep, yep, uh, for sure. Do you have any other things to say about about that side, sort of about the the impact on the Briar? 
I think I think the bigger question, with all due respect to Kevin Martin and, and Randy Furby, I think what is Mark Dacey's life without the boycott? I think that's the bigger one to me. So this bigger, mm. uh, biggest outlier of somebody who won. I think Mark Dacey is the one that maybe benefited the most from what some have argued was a compromised field in the briar during those years. I would say Dacey. Mark Dacey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that makes sense. I'm, yeah. I hear you on that. Um, and can we just say too, like, just this, like whether or not you think Randy Furby would have won four or not, like that's a fun debate to have. I mean, Randy Furby, not as a skip, but he did win two briars and two world championships in the eighties. And I mean, David Denowin during those years was just bonkos how good he was. And, uh, Marcel rock and Scott Pfeiffer were two of the leaders in having front ends be super athletic, super strong, you know, the whole huff and puff thing. They were ahead of the curve for, for compared to other teams. Right. So, you know, don't, it's unfair to Randy Furby and those guys to completely discount what they did because it happened. Part of it happened during the boycott. That 05-1 full field, everyone was participating. So, and they still won. So, we, you know, we've got to keep that in mind. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And some of the other things to come out of this is, you know, some teams now get direct births into provincials. Uh, sort of Curling Canada recognized the that the elite teams weren't being rewarded in any way for being elite teams other than saying, Oh, you can sign up the same as everybody. Right. Yep. So yeah, a lot more provinces have direct births based on world curling tour stuff. Uh, so it, it sort of frees up the teams in the fall season rather than having to play in play downs, uh, you know, in the zone or the region. Now they can go and play on tour and, win money yeah uh so that, that's a, a positive thing to come out of this the other thing i wonder is is the grand slam what it is now we talk about i think every grand slam on here yeah we do and uh, there's a lot of money now uh the women's side is now playing in the same amount of, of slams as the men's side uh it's become big business for Sportsnet. uh Without the formation of it, with all these great teams that uh, come to start it, it, do you think it gets to what it is now? It's tough, right? Because I think what gets forgotten about the Grand Slam is that period where it wasn't doing well. You know, it was on global. Mm -hmm. The it basically went bankrupt, and yeah. Rogers bought it, and th this is not to discount what people like Kevin Martin did and, and the amount of sacrifice because they sacrificed to get this thing yeah. off the ground. There is no question about it. And the sport is better for that. But short term, early on, it failed to gain the type of traction, certainly that it has now. And it benefited greatly from Rogers buying it, not only because Rogers has the pockets to, to be able to support it, but Rogers bought it at a time when we started to see increasingly, this wasn't sort of the first example, but it's an early example of vertical integration within broadcasting where 
broadcasters want to own the content that they're showing. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing it increasingly in sport. Think of uh, NBA TV as an example, NHL, the NHL network, the uh, Rogers owning the Blue Jays. It was a huge factor. This is why Rogers and Bell bought MLSE as well. They wanted to own this, the, the content college conferences creating their own networks so that's under the umbrella of espn but all of this is creating a vertical vertical integration within the broadcasting of sport and that's what the grand slam was doing or what rogers was doing when it bought the grand slam it stabilized it it made it much more profitable for rogers now they would have taken on losses early on i think it's at the point now where it's definitely profitable and that is a bigger sort of flashpoint to me. Like if Rogers doesn't buy it, then what happens? Right? right. There's a very good chance it goes away. In a media market now, maybe somebody tries to revive it, and it, I think it would be successful. But you're right. Without the boycott, without it starting, does anybody think that it could be successful? Like yeah. ever? Right. At yeah. a point now where there's an obvious. I don't want to say obvious. That's unfair to the people who did it, but you know, the, it makes sense from this TV, this marketing perspective, given the the landscape that we have that did not exist in 2000. So, without those guys doing it, then does anybody would anybody think to create it in like 2014, 15, when this sort of idea makes a lot of sense? So, I don't know what the answer is, but all credit to those guys for taking the chance, for taking the sacrifice, and really putting their money where their mouths were. Yeah, and I think that the World Curling Federation sort of tried to duplicate the success with their own uh, World Cup of Curling. Yeah. Right? They sort of saw what the Grand Slam was doing in Canada and tried to create something similar that's made for TV event. Uh, and, you know, it, it didn't work last year. But I still think that uh, the idea was was solid. It just needed a little more... Uh, a little more backing. Yeah, and there has to be stakes too. This is something that the World Cup didn't quite figure out. Yeah. The, what were the stakes? Why did this matter? And what the guys did early on with the Grand Slam is, I mean, money, for the most part, money doesn't really move the needle for sports fans. And they say, oh, they're mm -hmm. playing for this amount of money. Like, I don't care. I'm not playing for it. But what they were able to do was make it so that the top players wanted to go and then the players became the attraction and they took advantage of the scarcity of curling that the only time you could really see these players on TV was once a year at the Briar, the Scotties. And if they missed, well, see you next year. Yeah. And that scarcity, they took advantage of that and recognized that people wanted to see these players and that was something that was really smart of them to do. Yeah, for sure. I, I think uh, we've beaten that one <laughs> sufficiently, but uh, I don't want to be remiss and leave any any teams out. Sure. So let me give you the uh, the list of names: uh, Dave Bomer, Kerry Burtnick, Pierre Charette, Glenn Depain, Dale Dugid, Brett Gertzinger, Glenn Howard, Bruce Corte, Alan Lyburn, Willie Lyburn. Kevin Martin, Greg McCauley, Wayne Madaw, Kevin Park, Brent Pierce, Vic Peters, Pete Statsky, and Jeff Stoughton. So yeah, pretty, some pretty big too. names. Yeah. yeah, for sure. 
yeah, so uh, thinking about Furby and not a lot of competition those uh, those few years. Anyway, yeah, back back to it. I'll turn it over to you because we both had the same one there. All right, so my third one, I have what if Sherry Madaw wins a Scotties? Wins a Scotties, okay, okay. Yeah, Sherry Madaw competed at seven Scotties, 96, 99, 2001, 2002, 2004, 8, and 11. She, of course, also famously lost the 2013 curling trials, the Olympic trials in Winnipeg, to Jennifer Jones. If she wins that, I a little different, but I, I think the big one, if, if Sherry Madal wins the Scotties in that run between 96 and 2004, is she considered one of the greatest Ontario players uh, that we've, we've seen? I mean, I don't think one Scotties would elevate her to certainly you know, greatest of all time talk or anything like that. But if Sherry Madal had been able to win a Scottish, she four bronze medals in the Scottish. She's like the Phil Mickelson mm-hmm. uh, at the U.S. Open um, of, of this. Although I guess Phil finished second a bunch of times, but you know she was a great player, a wonderful competitor. You know she was never really ever blown out of any of these events, but we don't remember her as a dominant figure, which is. A little unfair, given the number of times she comes out of Ontario, which is still a strong province, and to compete at that level over and over and making the playoffs, if she wins one, what is her reputation? What is her legacy in the sport? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good way to think of it, Sean. My next one was actually what if she wins the the trials in 19 or 2013? Okay. Uh, but we both had Sherry Madaw in the mind. We, we both had Sherry Madaw. Um, thinking about all those hearts appearances, I think if if she was sort of the Brad Gushu of Ontario coming out every year, I, I still think she's one of the best Ontario curlers ever on the women's side. Uh, but if the, the fact is that like, uh, there was other skips that came out of Ontario at that time. I'm thinking of uh, like Marilyn Bodo yeah. won in 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was also uh, Anne Merklinger came out of Ontario a couple times. Laurie, yep. uh, uh, Alison Goring playing with Laurie and Mary from uh, Two Girls in a Game. They were in a final in there. So, so like Ontario curling was doing quite well. Uh, and, for um for sherry to be able to get out of the province i think is is pretty good but she's just not able to get over the hump that uh we saw some of the other teams do and i at some of the other teams i think it's only marilyn bodo that won but uh yeah i i don't know i don't know if she wins the scotties do you think of her that much differently i i would honestly yeah and i think it's different if it's a scotties versus the trials. I know the trials is a harder event to win. It's a deeper field, and and you know that sort of narrative is pretty clear. But Cheryl Bernard is that right? She never won a Scotties, but mm-hmm. she won a trials. And I, I think that there's a little more luster to winning a Scotties, if for no other reason that you get to come back and you get that full week of being Team Canada at this event again. I, there's something 
that just in the imagination of curling fans, well, maybe not curling fans, in the imagination of Sean, that that image, which is different from being at a world championship when you're wearing the Maple Leaf, just wearing the Maple Leaf at a Scotty's or now at a Briar, that almost makes it real, if that makes any sense, that sort of cements your place as, you know, you were the best in the country this year, that this is your reward in part for being the best. Mm -hmm. And that image sticks with me. And the only time that I haven't really felt that is when Michelle Englott did it because they didn't win. Right. And when I see the team come back, this just sort of really cements in my head that, you know, they're a champion. They win. Uh, Heather Nedowin, I think is a great example of this. Amber Holland, same thing. The fact that they got to come back and you get to see them again as Team Canada competing in this event just adds something to me, to how I think of them and I I think of their legacy. Okay, okay. Uh, So we'll pivot a bit then to mine. Yes. uh, So if Sherry Madaw wins the 2013 curling trials and goes to Sochi in 2014... Yes, with uh, with Kathy Overton and Clapham as her fifth. Yeah, and like at this point, Sherry Madaw is late in her career. I don't think she played competitively after that. I think she plays seniors and stuff, but yeah. Sure, but I mean, uh, like this is basically her last push, right? Well, she played. I so let me just say she played. In a few Grand Slam events in you know 14, 15, 15, 16, her last Grand Slam appearance was the Masters in 2017. Okay. So, okay. Uh, first of all, you said, oh, the uh, the trials is a harder event. I would argue it's 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 a deeper field, a tougher field, but there's fewer games, right? So, if you just get hot for four days uh you you could be in a pretty good spot right and so what happened in the the trials in 2013 jennifer jones was like by far and away the better team the the best team of the whole event uh they had the biggest differential uh they were six and one for the, the round robin so only eight teams six and one then there was three teams tied at four and three there was rachel holman sherry madaw and chelsea carey uh, Rachel Holman got, they did a, they did a full page with this. Okay. Uh, that was necessitated by having, you know, four teams that were in a playoff position. So Sherry Madon and Chelsea Carey played, what was a tiebreaker? Uh, but what was essentially like the three, four game, uh, in order to play Rachel Holman in order to go to the final, uh, Rachel Holman's team, very young at this point. They had won the 2013 uh, Scotties and had a very disappointing year or mm-hmm. a seat or a event rather uh, pretty disappointing. And, and so Sherry Madoc gives Jennifer Jones a game in the final. And I wonder if, you know, Jennifer Jones not having that Olympic gold medal, if we see Jennifer Jones as different, uh, as not quite what she is now without that. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I absolutely think that's fair to say that Jennifer Jones without the Olympic medal, they're the Olympic gold medal, 
maybe doesn't get voted the greatest player ever last year when they did right. that the the ranking yeah for sure that this is huge for jennifer jones's legacy having won that i mean you can't take six scotties away from her but the olympic gold is sort of that i don't know it's the cherry on top of the whole career of really cementing mm-hmm. her place and yeah if she doesn't have that still probably in the conversation for greatest skip ever, but it's not the slam dunk that it currently is. Yeah. And I wonder how, like, like we saw Jennifer uh, ditch Kathy O right after 2010. Yeah. I wonder if she makes a similar change to her lineup after 2014, if they're not successful, Uh, does she tell Caitlin, Hey, get out of here, form your own team, whatever. Uh, does she tell Don to move back to Ontario or, you know, like, like, is there a change to that team? And I think it's, it's quite possible there could have been some change. Uh, so then we don't get the, the team Jones sort of dynasty of the, the tens. Yeah. I, 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 you know, getting Caitlin Laws off the team that I don't think ever would have been in the offing. And I mean, at that point, if you get rid of, Don McEwen or Jill Officer, that's just, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face. They were the two best at their positions, arguably. Certainly Jill was at the time. And mm-hmm. you losing them doesn't get you anything. So, yeah. I, but, yeah, people make decisions all the time that don't really ever seem to make sense to us just from the outside looking in. But, yeah, maybe if they lose the personal relationship, there could be a, a, a impact on those. You never know. But, it it is a interesting what if and do we look at Jennifer Jones of the past couple of years even differently where yeah. the results have been disappointing for her for a normal human being she's had two really good years yeah. for her they've been disappointing uh, do we look at those in a different light without having that Olympic gold to say oh she was a gold medalist yeah absolutely I, I think there's a lot of uh, fascinating things that that sort of fall out of that but uh... yeah. And then does Canada go on to win a gold medal at the Olympics with Sherry Madaw? How confident are you? I, I, would, I would say that she would be in the, the sort of, I, this, I would have the same amount of confidence in Sherry Madaw as I would with, or as I did with yep. uh, Cheryl. Yeah. And uh, Shannon Clybrink in 2006 too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I just that's... wanted to say real quick that uh, somebody on Twitter did find the game, Scott, because you, you brought up Kathy Overton Clavin being bumped from that team. The game has been found. Ooh. Yes, I was very excited when uh, this was sent to me at Rookie Curler. Okay. Sent us to this. So, so that's uh, the, the game at the trials between. Oh no, sorry. I'm that's I'm looking at the wrong tweet. Yogi Namara got in touch with us to let us know that the game is on YouTube. No, the Kathy O. Jennifer Jones game from PEI in the Scotties. Ah, the complete game. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. So that's there. It is uh definitely been consumed in this house. <laughs> Excellent. I yeah, so I'm... thank you to Yogi uh, Namara for that. You know what I'm doing tomorrow. Yeah. So uh Next up, what do you got next, Scott? Uh, next up, uh, this is my number four, because uh, Sherry Madal was also my third. Uh, this one, 
is interesting because because why don't I just tell it to you instead of saying it's interesting? Yeah, I will. I will decide if it's interesting. All right. Uh, so famously, John Morris left Kevin Martin's team after the 2013 Briar. Yes. Uh, just six months or eight months before the 2013 Roar of the Rings. Uh, I want to know what would happen if Morris had stayed with that team. So there's. Uh, there's an article that I found on CBC from uh, just after the Briar. It was from April 24th, so it would have been after the Worlds. Uh, Martin's team at the 2013 Briar missed the playoffs. They started one and four, ran off six straight wins to end, including one over Glenn Howard, and missed the playoffs by one game. Uh here in the article of as to why he left, he said, myself and Kevin were no longer thriving in our back end role. Like we did in our 20, 2010 Olympic gold medal run. I have always been a very driven and intense athlete. And right now in this situation, I feel my passion and love for the game of curling is not where it needs to be. As a result with a heavy heart, I'll be stepping down from my role of third on team Martin. So, uh, Hearing that, that that seems to me like Kevin Martin was upset with John Morris for not caring enough. Maybe. I, I think it's crazy because I think no one has cared as much about curling as John Morris, uh, maybe ever. Right. So what happens from this is that uh, Team Martin has to get a third and try to fill somebody of John Morris's caliber it's pretty crazy. He gets David Nedowin to play on his team. Uh, David Nedowin famously has a way different release than any of the other guys on that team. Yep. Uh, he they make it to uh, to the finals of the the trials or the semifinals rather of the trials and uh, end up losing. And I wonder uh, they end up losing the semifinal to John Morris. Yes. So. I wonder if Morris stays with the team, uh, they perform as they did in those trials together as a team. They're at least in the playoffs. I know Brad Jacobs was sort of on a crazy dominant run, yeah. but seeing the defending Olympic gold medalists as your opponent in the finals for a team that is not always the strongest mentally, I wonder if they're able to pull off, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the repeat gold medal. Maybe. I, I, I think we had seen, though, diminishing returns from that team, not only in 13, but sort of the, the season leading into that and even the season before. So I don't think you can assume that the team would have gone 6-1 if John Morris is, is there, that you know, maybe having that new blood is good for them or, or even just not having any sort of lingering tension exist, exist there is good for the team as well. So I don't think we can presume that they do better than six and one if John Morris is there, given the downward trajectory that the team was on. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's fair. But we did see both of those teams like so we saw John Morris skip his own team and Kevin Martin uh, taking David Nedowin. 
perform well enough to make the playoffs at the trials. Right. But they weren't, but they weren't together. I think that's kind of the key to it. Right. And I'm, my, what if is like, what if they were able to get along, get along and stay together? Yeah. I I mean, if they win back to back in 10 and 14, no question. Greatest ever. Like no question. Yeah. Cause, cause I think that the, the team I watched play at the Olympics is the best curling team I've ever seen. The most dom- it's the most dominant curling performance for sure. Yeah, they were they were just incredibly good. Yeah, and so part of part of the reason I put this in is because they were able to turn it around at the at the Briar in 2013, right? They one and four to start, and it's not like they played uh, like the super super difficult teams uh, early on. Right, but I mean, when you're one and four, you play loose. It become it does become easier. I guess so. I guess so. Like they beat Gushu, they beat uh, Howard in their back six. Uh, they did have some other uh, games against the the lower on the on the scales, but yeah, I I think like them coming into it, I think they could have dethroned uh, Brad Jacobs as as the leader of that trials and. Uh, gone on to to win another gold medal and then be true legends of the sport. They could all have retired, uh, dined out for life, uh, <laughs> on on their uh, curling accomplishments. And then the Brad Jacobs, you know, we we saw Brad Jacobs' team parlay their 2013 Briar into the Olympic berth, into a gold medal. Yep. And we've seen sort of middling returns since, right? Playoffs. But they I mean, can't they've break lost through. a couple. They've lost a couple finals. Yeah, they they haven't been able to like break through to get back to the top. And yeah. I think it's it's been frustrating for them. Uh, we've seen a, a lineup change now uh, after last year. Yeah. So. And they were yeah. dominant this year. Yeah, they were really dominant this year. So, anyway. Uh, I, I think the the bigger what if in this is if John Morris, of course, playing with Jim Cotter in that final, if they win. Yeah. And they beat. Jacobs in that game, where does Morris stack up uh, in terms of greatest of all time? And does yeah. he surpass Kevin Martin? In when we think of that team, like th- this is sort of the discussion that's going on right now. Bill B- Belichick and Tom Brady, sort of we're looking at this season and who does better to determine between the two of them which one is more responsible. And if John Morris wins in 2013, do we think, oh, M- Morris was really the key to that whole run? Yeah, well, he did beat them in the semifinal. So yeah, it's not the same. You gotta, you gotta finish it off. <laughs> so like, finish it off. yeah, and for my money, I, I'm a John Morris fan, and I think he's, I, I think he's probably better as a player overall than Kevin Martin. Oh, overall, yeah, no question. I mean, Kevin Martin can't sweep. Right. <laughs> like, if we're talking about sort of the full game, yeah, I don't think yeah. there's any question about that. Okay, and. Yeah, because we've never seen John Morris skip uh, to win a national championship. Yeah, John Morris is John Morris is way too much energy to be a skip. I, th- I think that's been clearly established. Yeah, 
Yeah, you can tell at the at the Ottawa club the banners that are around there too. He's got like energy even in those pictures. He does. He really does. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I think we've talked enough about that. Okay. Uh, so uh, so I'll, I'll go to my next one. It, it, we'll go back to Jennifer Jones. We don't have to take too much time on it. But what if Jennifer Jones's shot in 2005, the last shot to win, what if it over or under curls, right. and she misses? What happens then? You know, you have Jen Hanna as a national champion out of Ontario. How does her career change, if at all? Uh, we've had the, I would say, pleasure of playing against her a few times. Pleasure in that they're they're nice people, uh, not in that the games were remotely fun to be on the other end of what was happening. But, <laughs> um, you know, does she continue in competitive curling longer? Uh, does the team, you know, really dig in and, and really pursue an Olympic berth with, you know, more time than they otherwise committed because they they did go off and you know start families and, and careers and all that kind of stuff do, do they delay that another couple of years and really push for 2010 if they win this who knows mm-hmm. of course the biggest what if of this all is uh don McHugh, don McEwen now of course at the time don askin she's on that jen hannah team yeah and you know if you go back and watch the trials in 2017 when Mike McEwen, when he loses, when they show the camera shot of Don, she's sitting there with Jen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so they're all still very close, still friends. Uh, you know, I know Don went for a variety of reasons to Manitoba, but how does this affect the curling decision? And, uh, you know, ironically, of course, the, the rock that Jen Jones hits, makes contact with on the in-off, it was a stone that was thrown by Don Askin earlier in the end uh, that mm-hmm. ended up in that spot. So, that's the great what if of course that's jennifer jones it's her first victory of the six so you know what does it mean for her and her career is this launching pad to the greatest of all time and how does that affect her so just a lot of what ifs out of that shot i think yeah that's a really great summary of all that uh don askin played third uh for uh for hannah there oh no second she played second on that team uh yeah a lot of uh a lot of what ifs i think th- the f- question of funding uh ontario's jen Hanna, their their team would have had the benefit of some extra cca funding yep uh the ability to train maybe a little more focused on training yep that uh, puts like them we, too in the 05 trials that's true yeah that's true right yeah right, it's like an automatic birth yeah at the time it was. Right, right. Uh, so, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of outcomes there. They they did have to come through two tiebreakers in that uh, 2005 Scottish Sean. It was uh, Vic's all time nightmare of four teams at six <laughs> and five. Terrible. Uh, it's terrible. Yeah, so they had to come through two tiebreakers, uh, managed to do it, uh, then managed to beat uh, Saskatchewan and then Kelly Scott from BC, who was uh, one of the one of the best teams at the time. Yeah, uh, and then on the Jones side, she doesn't benefit from that moment uh, where where she's sort of elevated to be the, the, like the moment itself. We played it last week. It was so iconic in curling. Yeah, right that. Uh, the Jennifer Jones star power, I think, was born at this Scotty's. Uh, she was young, good-looking, uh, very tele- telegenic, I'd yep. say. Uh, everybody uh, was excited to, to watch her play on TV. 
and she was good. And yeah, if that goes the other way, I I don't know. I you still you still have like another young skip on the other side, right? Yeah. So yeah, the whole course of curling could be different. We could be talking about Jen Hanna as the best of all time. Right. And, and, or even like just the course of Manitoba, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, all those entries into the Scotties that other people got because Jennifer Jones was team Canada mm-hmm. and, you know, in, in 2006, and like that just is one example of it, but yeah, that launching pad of Jennifer Jones as you know, just this dominant run of, of her starting in 2005 on that shot just incredible and yeah so just the the what if of, mm. of that shot there's so many possibilities and permutations that could come out of that sort of at the time i mean that shot's more common to make now at the time that's a what five percent maybe yeah so like we like we heard mike harris say so tough so tough so tough so uh <laughs> so i have not yeah so of course we had to get more double j in here so scott what is your last what if that you want to talk about so Sean, I had a lot of trouble thinking about this one. I I was racking my brain to come up with something, and I just decided to steal from <laughs> Rocks Across the Pond. Uh, <laughs> in their John Schuster opus, yes, uh, they talked about uh, the 2009 U.S. curling trials. So I've got it up here on Wikipedia. Uh, John Schuster, their team finished tied for second with. Uh, Todd Burr, Tyler George's team was one, then uh, Todd Burr, John Schuster, and let me think of who the other guy was, uh, Craig Brown. So normally, you know, Todd Burr beat John Schuster in the round robin. So you'd think they did a page playoff for this whole thing, by the way. So you'd think, okay, well, Burr will get the two seed and Schuster the three seed and we'll play out our page playoff well that was not the case they decided uh, usa curling in their infinite wisdom decided that a tiebreaker game was necessary to decide who would get the higher seed Uh, obviously how do you you, of course that game was a bloodbath where todd burst stole one in the first end uh schuster replied with a two steal a one steal a two steal a four handshakes the game's over after five ends it's nine to one uh what this does it puts john schuster in the uh one two game which he loses gets shot at redemption with a second chance at todd burr beats him 10 to 4 in that game and then goes on to beat tyler george in the playoff final so uh team schuster in this uh, instance is able to go to the 2010 winter olympics uh without that experience at the 2010 Olympics, uh, we know like what happened after that with the U.S. Curling Association uh, uh, defunding their team, uh, all that stuff. Uh, but without that initial experience at the 2010 Olympics, I don't know if we see the 2018 Olympics. Now, if you want a, lo- a lot more detail on that, go and listen to their podcast. Uh, yes. Definitely it's, go it's, listen to it, yeah. It's excellent. They cover it a lot deeper than me. But uh, it's it's a real head-scratcher as to why they would do that. Right. Right? So, yeah. anyway, uh, at, they finished last place at the Olympics in Vancouver. Uh, you know, then he joined another team, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But how USA Curling would have changed. Yeah. 
it would be completely different if yeah without that potentially and if john schuster does not i, I mean john john schuster and you're right we're not going to do justice to the story the way they do it but john schuster as a guy who was sort of this when i think about the story it's almost like john schuster is saying you know the hell with the rest of you i'm gonna just compete i'm just gonna beat you put up as many roadblocks as you want i'm just gonna beat you so i i do wonder like if he doesn't win that and doesn't get to the olympics does he stop i it doesn't strike me that that's in his personality but who knows yeah yeah i think it's uh it's kind of an interesting thing to think about and because they covered it so well we'll point you in that direction absolutely so uh yeah wonderful episode yeah the ballad of john schuster uh very much enjoyed listening to that one so uh my last what if scott is related mildly tangentially and it's what if curling does not go into the olympics as a full medal sport in 1998 yes where are we in the world of curling and i wrote down a few things here the first one, this is going to sound silly, but I legitimately wonder about it. Is curling fitness a thing or do we still have the reality as it was in the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s and mm -hmm. even before that, you know, people smoking, well, people wouldn't be smoking on the ice anymore, but the idea that to play competitively, you have to go to the gym, you have to work out, you have to be in really good shape, that there is an athletic component to this. Do we have the same acceptance of that? Because even remember in 2010, the fact that Cheryl Bernard was in shape was front page news for yeah. a lot of people uh, who were new to curling or, or just watching for the first time in a long time. So, you know, does the athleticism of the sport really come to the fore the same way it has? I also wonder about the Grand Slam and the World Curling Tour in general how much of that is buoyed by the fact that it is an Olympic sport? We see it with other sports where their World Cup circuits are kind of there in, in some service of the Olympics, but the, the interest in the sport is greatly increased because it has the Olympics as this ultimate prize. And I, I'm, the one I immediately think of is skiing, mm -hmm. uh, the World Cup skiing circuit as part of that do we have the same audience for curling and, and people curling for money on sewer if we're not exposed to them in the Olympics and it's not all in service of ultimately getting to the Olympics? Does the audience respond in the same way? And then the other part of that, of course, is the global growth of the sport that we've seen in places that are traditional curling hotbeds, like or at least on the international level powerhouses country like switzerland that has always done really well at world championships sweden has has done really well as well so you know those countries and the strength that they have right now i i don't think it goes away but you know scotland has greatly increased its funding norway uh, mm -hmm. germany you know the euros now is a really fun events and certainly the asian countries that we have seen become really powerful forces in the world of curling that is is recent because you'll remember that you know in the 90s australia was regularly getting a pacific asia spot in the world championship and now it's this really tight competition between south korea japan china to battle back and forth for who's going to win the pacific asia championship and, and world championship 
qualifying, Olympic qualifying, uh, you know, the, that region is a lot stronger. And a lot of the funding, certainly in the case of China, I know for sure, I, I don't want to speak to the other countries because I'm not entirely sure of the funding structure, but that is related to the Olympic Games and wanting to win medals at the Olympics. So this sort of spreading out of medals at world championships, does that happen? Or is Canada still going and pretty much guaranteed a medal? And do we see the sport grow in the way it does without the Olympic Games for all the problems that are in place because of the Olympics? And there are problems, right? It's not a zero-sum yeah. game. There are yeah, problems, well, but there's a lot to be thankful for that the sport is now included in the Olympic Games. Yeah, I think for in terms of growth of the sport uh, worldwide, yes, the Olympics are uh, the main reason for it. Right. I don't think that's uh, in question at all. Uh, what might be in question is the the way that funding is allocated from these associations. Uh, we're seeing it once again. Curling Canada announced something a, a week ago, I think, about how it's it's concentrated at the top. The wealth is sort of concentrated at the top, and we're not seeing it trickle down to the grassroots the way that we used to. Right. Uh, so while there is more money in curling now, uh, that money is concentrated at the very, very top of the pyramid. Uh, we're seeing curling clubs shut down. Uh, we talked a bit about uh, diversity here today, and diversity in curling is a big problem, uh, something that uh, I would like to see tackled in some meaningful way. Uh, urban curling centers are not uh, common. Yep. Uh, we see it uh, mostly in rural areas in the West. And I mean, there's a few cities that have them like, like we do here in Ottawa. But uh, yeah, I, I see that the Olympics has helped to make the game a little bit more legitimized as a sport. I don't know if you remember uh, playing growing up, Sean, but people would say, that's not a sport. Yeah. And I I don't think there's anybody that would argue that now. Well, uh, seeing I, I seeing the athletes. Sometimes. You still hear it? Oh, yeah. But then they try it, and then they can't walk <laughs> for three days, and then I don't hear it anymore. Yeah. Oh, oh that's actually pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. So... Uh, you talked a lot about all the great consequences of having uh, curling at the Olympics. Uh, I know I was excited for it the first time, and uh, I've met some people. I, I won't have delusions of grandeur in saying that I thought I could win a medal at the Olympics or go to the Olympics. I did think maybe if I moved to a country that doesn't usually have curling, I could try. But, uh, <laughs> um, but I've, I've met people throughout my life that have said, yeah, like I want to be a national champion. I want to go to the Olympics for curling. Yeah. And I don't know if those people would have put the time into the sport if there was no uh, goal like that at the end. I, I'm not sure. Right. But I do know that what we're seeing at grassroots levels of curling, especially in Canada, is that there's less and less money. Uh, clubs are losing members. Uh, what's going to happen with COVID, nobody knows. So the Olympics are good for the profile of curling. I don't know if they're good for the health of curling. 
I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to put it. That certainly, yeah, it's it's great for fans. It's great to watch, but in terms of yeah, grassroots and the overall health of the sport, yeah, w- where does it stand? I guess uh, I guess we'll just have to find out, right? Like, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Let's we'll see how it all plays out. See how it all plays out. Yeah, it all Good. plays out. So, uh, so that's that. Those are our what ifs. Our what did that end up being? Eight what ifs. Uh, yeah, eight and a half. Uh, what ifs that we had for curling. Uh, let us know what you think of what we talked about, or if you have any big flashpoint moments that are what ifs for you when you think about curling, the sport in general, its history, and how we got to this point. And if you have any, I would love to hear them. Yeah, me too. Uh, there's like when you talk about alternate history, there's millions of flashpoints where you could go back and say, oh, if this had been different, what would have happened? Uh, I do watch some alternate history YouTube videos from now and then every now and again, and uh, they're, they're pretty fun pretty fun to think about yeah it's, a, it's an interesting thought experiment for sure so uh so yeah so definitely let us know what you think and if you have any what ifs for us so that'll do it for this week on the show as we said at the top uh again we're going to keep the show going in the same sort of vein as, as we do it with the recognition and, and understanding that it is a diversion and it is an escape and if you're joining us for that uh, welcome, and we recognize the privilege that we have with that. Absolutely. Well said. So we'll be back next week with another new show. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show. Wherever it is you get your podcast. give us the likes, the ratings, the comments, all the stuff to help the algorithms, allows other people to find the show, keeps the show going. Also, you can follow along with us on Twitter and Instagram, at Game of Stones Pod. And if you head on over to the Rocks Across the Pond Instagram page, the Instagram live we did on Monday is available over there. Scott, you were not able to participate, but it was a good one. Nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. I caught the last part of it. Uh, felt like I got hit by a truck. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I was sleeping, sleeping, uh, during, the, during the, the broadcast. Hey, it happens, you know, it happens. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. uh, so you can follow us there. Uh, and also on Mondays at 5, we're going live with the guys from Rocks Across the Pond. Uh, so be sure to check us out over there. And as always, you can email the show, Podcast at gmail.com. So we'll be back with you next week. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that answer. Make the final.